0: Welcome to Holy Crap the Vlogcast. Vlogcast that comes to you from a skeptical point of view to try to answer some of the questions of why. This vlogcast started out as a result of the Starry Sound effect and because people are really, really dumb on Facebook. This follows the old adage of the journey is half. <laughs> It's important. It's a destination or something like that. <laughs> I am Bridget Fitch, and the main host, Shijin, is off at Africa. So I'm keeping the seat warm for him, and so is Dallin. And, I'm here. Yeah, we're here. So we will start the introductions. Uh, Dallin is here from Calgary, Alberta, where there's like all kinds of fires and all kinds of crap going on along, around there.
1: And it's really funny you mentioned about the fires because actually tonight I was planning to. Do my dinner out on the barbecue on the porch uh, right when the clouds opened up. So uh, now, granted, very very far north of here, yeah, there's there's a few fires going on.
0: And from the armpit of the capital, we have unknown tech. Good evening, unknown tech. Good evening. And we have someone special joining us all the way from Auckland, New Zealand. This is Kevin Hester and he is the co-host of Major Bats Blast on the Progressive Radio Network. Good evening Kevin or good afternoon Kevin.
2: Sure everyone, lovely to be here with you today.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Our topic this evening is called Global Weirding and what we're going to be talking about is of course climate change, yeah, this terrible Chinese hoax that this is and uh also bringing in something called global dimming that many people may not be aware of and have not considered but kevin will tell us all about that so i'm gonna hand it off to you dalen
1: okay uh normally our earless feeder would have some kind of five minute freestyle where he busts something he wants to rant about sadly i'm nowhere near that original or spontaneous so you know what I'm going to pull a Philip DeFranco here and just say, let's just jump into it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so Bridget, this was, um, you actually contacted me earlier this week about putting this one together. Mm-hmm. So I really, I'm at a bit of a loss here in terms of uh the topic. I mean, I did bring up some of the links that you sent uh, me that I put in the show notes.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, and I've listened to a lot of the rhetoric back and forth about climate change and just so you guys know, yeah, I, I, I do believe it's happening. Um, even that, looking at some anecdotal evidence from my hometown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, a few years ago, I was home for Christmas, and my parents lived about 10 minutes outside of town at a cabin. And trying to get there on that day, a windstorm had come through, which we nicknamed the Alberta Clipper. And apparently it is. It's a wind that comes here from out west and just blows east. In all the years I'd lived in that town, which was 18 years and back and forth for the next five or six. So you look at about 20 some odd years that I've been back and forth to that town. I had never seen anything like that. These were winds that were going at 100 kilometers an hour, so about 60 miles an hour for. You Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to put the dig in there. Look, I I, I blame you guys for the trip I took a couple of weeks ago. Sorry. As soon as I crossed the border and I started looking at the speed limit signs, I actually had to wait for about five minutes to get used to the fact that, no, now you look at the little numbers on the speedometer, not the big ones. I could change everything else digitally on my car except that. Mm. But anyways, driving around driving on that road, literally having to weave in and out of felled trees on the road. And I'm not talking one or two. I'm talking, they they actually had to get crews out. This was Christmas day, Christmas day with not a lot of snow, but with this God awful wind blowing through it. And I've seen one more storm since then. And I actually took pictures of some of the trees that uprooted Uh one of which, and unfortunately I didn't get a picture of this one, but Let's just say there was a spruce tree that was felled and they found out where the root system was when it lifted the cabin next to it up about a good six feet before bringing it back down. Let's just say it's a good thing that cabin didn't have a foundation. <laughs> but
0: well, that was a good thing you weren't in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago either when they had all the tornadoes come through. That was pretty yeah.
1: hard. You know, and we've even had, we've had uh, tornadoes up in Edmonton. Not recently, I don't think but I am definitely seeing that there are changes. There there is something going on. So I'm not going to be a denier or anything like that on this show. So if you're looking for a sort of opposing commentary, sorry, you came to the wrong place.
0: (laughs) No, Uh, I, I know that we all know better than that, (laughs) which is why we're here now. Some of my relatives, not so much, but I think it's getting pretty obvious with everything going on that, you have to see it
4: no they don't it's not obvious to people who choose not to pay attention that's the thing when you tell somebody that the sea level has risen over the past x amount of years by x amount of height most of the time they're mentioning it in either millimeters centimeters inches that sort of thing and somebody goes oh you know know, my glass of water holds this much and it's only this much more. Ah, who cares? It's a little bit of water. They're not doing the math and saying, this is the surface area of the ocean of the world. And this little inch increase means this massive quantity of water. Mm-hmm. They don't see that. And, they, and for the ones that could do the math, the ones that are familiar with uh, how to produce, you know, figure out volume and things like that. There, some of them are just going, eh, whatever. doesn't concern mm-hmm. me.
1: Anyway, tech, um, we just had a, our, our fashionably late French contingent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good morning, Joseph. Uh, good morning. Yeah. So the question now,
3: Joseph is, can you hear everybody? Sound tech. Yo, everybody say hello. Hello, Hello. Well, I can hear Hi. you all.
0: All right, good. That's first time for everything. <laughs> Holy crap!
1: Uh, Literally, maybe the uh, Literally. maybe the maybe the curse of one of our dearly departed has finally left us. We can only hope.
0: <laughs> That's terrible. Anyways, um, uh, Bridget,
1: um, do Yeah, we we've I've rattled off enough here, so yeah. I'm going to turn it over to you and let's uh, let's get started.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I, I sent you some of the links of. We've got fires everywhere. We have places in India that are getting, you know, too hot to even inhabit climate refugees already. We even have some in the U.S., and it's only going to get worse. But the thing is that a lot of people say that we need to shut down civilization and cut, you know, down on the CO2 emissions and all that. But there is this little thing called global dimming. And I'm going to let Kevin explain how that would hose us if we cut out all the
2: emissions. What, what would happen? What will happen? There's something like between one and one and a half degrees of what's called masking aerosol. It's the aerosol masking effect, is the terminology used in the referee general literature. So that. The, the, the statistics that I have is that we're somewhere like one and a half degrees of more warming that has been that has been factored into the climate system, but has been masked by the amount of pollution that we admit uh, into the atmosphere. That pollution is called sulfates. The term sulfate aerosols is used for a suspension of fine solid particles of a sulfate or Tiny droplet, droplets of a solution of a sulfate or sulfuric acid. They're produced by chemical reactions in the atmosphere from the gaseous precursors. The two main sulfuric acid precursors are sulfur dioxide from anthropogenic sources and volcan- volcanoes, and dimethyl sulfide from biogenic sources, especially from uh, marine phytoplankton. So these aerosols can co- have a cooling effect on the Earth. What well, I used to be a, a big supporter of deep green resistance, and one of their philosophies was to tear down industrial civilization. But when industrial civilization collapses, and like all civilizations, all, all civilizations collapse, so when it does happen, we're going to get a doubling within four to six weeks of the amount of chaos that's in the atmosphere now. We've had something like, if you go back to the seventeen fifty. Uh, baseline which is the the most recent we should be using we shouldn't be using any baselines after that if you go back to 1750 we're about 1.7 degrees Celsius above that point now so when industrial civilization collapses in something like four or six weeks we'll have a doubling of the anthropogenic warming that's the kind of trouble we're in already
0: And the reason why we'll have that is because when all of the particles fall out of the air, it you know, right now it's acting like an umbrella and blocking out some of the sunlight. But Absolutely. when the particles all come out, we will lose that umbrella effect and have even more sunlight coming in.
4: Damned so, if we
2: do, damned if we don't.
0: Yeah.
4: So would there be a way to... How's this for a concept? Get the uh, umbrella of the negative stuff out of the air and somehow replace it with a synthetic version that we can control um, its density and its location so that we can actually reduce that one slowly over time so that we can limit the massive weather swings that would be caused by just a
2: sudden drop. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's just wishful thinking, you know, it just doesn't exist. We don't have that ability. It's a little bit like the IPCC and in the IPCC predictions, they have factored in carbon capture and storage technology that doesn't exist.
4: Yeah. Solar shields? (laughs) (laughs) Put an umbrella out in space. That's all I'm saying. We can make it opaque, you know, let some through and bounce the rest off.
0: Well, I mean, unfortunately, no one has come up with anything yet. And the time to have come up with that was 10 or 20 years ago, minimum.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the, at least again, I, for some reason, I do end up getting fed a little bit of the other side of it. Um. Where one of the arguments has been that okay, maybe there are changes, but is it man made or is it natural? Like which and and that becomes sort of the that's the soft argument. Like you have you have the outright deniers who're saying, you know, oh God, I, I remember oh, I those
4: people. I love those people. I have met people like that. that go, "Well, how do you know it's it, it's our fault and not nature?" And I say, "Actually, it is nature." You're absolutely correct. You know why? Because humans are part of nature. So, therefore, if we do something as part of nature, <laughs> we have caused it. Yeah, we have naturally caused a problem.
1: But I also think of um, they hate that. Yeah, I, I also think one of one of our one of our dear friends and fans of the show, uh, Pat Robertson, uh, who has gone on before talking about uh you know how it was global warming yet this week was cold as the dickens to borrow a quote from him Ah, you know yeah so it's you know where where we see a lot of it is well and then of course there's the profit deal i mean shutting down as you said shutting down the industrialized world you know tomorrow yeah that that's going to wreak havoc you know, climate-wise, you know, in four to six weeks, when the global dimming, when everything settles out, but there's you know a lot of other things to consider. You know, that's going to be like, could humanity go back to? I don't even know if you you wouldn't be the the Stone Age necessarily, but Bronze Age? it uh,
0: would be Stone Age, pretty much.
1: Yeah, I guess it would be because Bronze Age would you know that entails some kind of I some kind we, of industry.
4: Depending on who survived, I don't think we'd go all the way back to the Stone Age. I think we'd go back to more like the, the, the Bronze or Steel Age. Just because there's so many people spread out all across the world who do, uh, you know, uh, blacksmithing techniques by hand. They, they have yeah. people still read books. You know, they're not all on their e-readers and crap. You know, I have a wealth of knowledge in books. Some are very condensed versions and such that I could throw in a backpack and off I go or give to somebody if they needed knowledge, that sort of thing. You know, there's plenty of people who, despite sitting in an office all day, they take trips into the forest to learn how to build a campfire, things like that. You know, I I know there's plenty that would not make, you know, a collapse of of the economy in the world, but I think there'd be enough that we wouldn't go completely Stone Age.
2: Now, what Um, if... one One thing I think you need to remember... When industrial civilization falls over, we're going to have four hundred and fifty nuclear power station meltdowns. Mm-hmm. When those power stations are no longer maintained, we will have each one of them, on average, has three spent fuel pools. In those spent fuel pools are thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of highly enriched fuel fuel assemblies. When the when the staffs don't turn up at the power station at the nuclear power station. Those um, spent fuel pools will evaporate all the water out of them because there's still a lot of criticality in the fuel. That'll evaporate, and then the zirconium tr- tubes that the the highly radioactive pellets are contained in will catch fire, as you know. All all, all element all alloys burn if you get them hot enough, mm-hmm. and that will aerosol all of that fuel. Into the atmosphere. Just think about that. Those I thought those were supposed to have
4: emergency uh, built in safeties that when things are not being done, they go into shutdown
2: modes. Yeah, they do. But, you know, all that stuff's got to function. And, you know, if the power goes off, it, it it's remarkable. Nuclear power stations need incoming power as well as the power they send out. So the minute that, that incoming power stops, your emergency generators theoretically start. They didn't at Fukushima Daiichi because the, 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 um, the generators were located below the, the station and they got full of water when the tsunami came through. But even if they start, they've only got limited fuel so- stocks on site. So within a day or two, they'll run out of fuel. And you know industrial civilization's not there to bring another truck full of fuel. And who's going to turn up at work once that all happens i thought that was supposed to be automated though i thought
4: it was supposed to be an automated system when it detects certain things going wrong it initiates its own shutdown regardless of human intervention i thought that that was supposed to be
2: safety for those the speed fuel pools remember They need power to keep, keep keep the water chilled and keep put, um, pumping chilled water through them. That's how they work. They work as a heat exchanger. So if yeah. they're shut down, the the things are still hot. Yeah, this this stuff's hot for tens of thousands of years.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, and you know, ironically, um, actually, Shujin is is yeah, our our your list feeder is actually in the chat right now. Um, and speaking of which hi staff hi felis um yeah anyways um one of the things that are you know one of the alternative energy sources that people have been talking about like if we want to get away from coal uh we want to get away from you know combustibles fossil fuels uh nuclear energy was considered an option because even though yes it's got a very checkered past and of course you you heard you hear the word nuclear and everybody flips out because you know they they think they they see Chernobyl they see Three Mile Island, even though a lot of things have changed since then. And yeah, and Fukushima. I'm not even sure, well. Again, I don't know all of it, but uh, if if everything was underwater uh, during the flood, then yeah, they weren't actually thinking of all the contingencies. I guess. Um. I just wonder. Like, instead of ending industrial civilization. It's, and we've talked about this, and it's probably time to look at changing it. You know, get into alternative fuels, renewable fuel sources, things that are less to the point of non-polluting at some point, you know, um, wind energy. Although, and I, oh, sorry guys, uh, your president, uh, just when I think the cringe is over, there's this gigantic hold my beer moment we're talking about,
4: about how, the uh the, the one if by land two if by sea three no, if by we're air.
0: talking about how wind windmills cause cancer.
4: <laughs> yeah, brain
1: cancer. Then does his kind of version of the vuvuzela there. Uh, it's like,
4: I'm sorry. It's <laughs> I'm sorry that half my country is that freaking stupid to vote for that asshat. I'm I'm terribly sorry.
1: Yeah, well, you I, know, and, I do
4: something about it, but. Youth, euthanizing people against their will is is apparent is illegal
1: yeah it's also kind of deals into another ideology we really don't want to see a return to yeah um but but all the other kinds of downplaying of, of alternative sources by industry it's it's sad you know um and, and you know I, I live in a province that you know we we do rely on oil for that's our industry You know, we've made strides to get, you know, to clean up the extraction process. But at the end of the day, a lot of that, you know, a lot of that black stuff gets refined, gets refined into a particular clear stuff that goes into our cars that just contributes to the whole thing.
4: Well, it's it's not just you guys and it's not just us, you know, it's not just us with Jersey and the golf and everything else, you know, you've got places where they're doing huge extractions where like, uh, Qatar, for example. Mm-hmm. right they do a huge amount of uh, export uh, pulling out of uh, um, oil out of the ground and such as well as several other uh, locations and they produce an insane amount of pollutants if you look if you look at the the pollution versus uh, population and everything else the ratio is much higher for them than it is for yeah. the, you know the big countries like uh, uh, the America and, and so on and so forth. Um, China and the rest of them, but at the end of the day, it's everybody involved. It's everybody involved that's burning the stuff for -hmm. whatever reason, whether it's for heat, whether it's for transportation or anything for that matter. So while we could point fingers all around, at the end of the day, everybody that's got pointed to is at fault until we switch off of that. And like you were saying, onto renewables, where we're doing wind, where we're doing wave motion energy generators from the ocean shoreline systems, where we're doing solar energy, where, heck, um, I once learned about the concept of reef using mirrors to focus, uh, go out. This is something <laughs> that would be implemented in a desert environment because of the. Uh, the, the you well, know what? I, I know heat, what you're talking about. And I think heat I've actually, these tubes of oil and they, the heat turns to turbines.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure right. about that, but I know that there are three reflecting arrays. Um, are somewhere in the States. I, I want to, I should be looking this up. Um, the kind of side effect though, is that if a bird flies through that, it's instant roasted. Uh, How many thund- birds do we
4: have in this country?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Thunderfoot actually did a video on this when he was, uh, he was stateside, uh, wanting to, um, film the eclipse and he actually, he went around the country and he actually did show this reflector array. Uh, Kevin, I wanted to ask, um, New Zealand, what kind of, um, I guess in terms of environmental or other things like what we've been talking about with energy and stuff. Um, does New Zealand have any kind of policies or practices in place uh, to work on this or? Uh,
2: most of the pol- policies in place in this country are, are disguised for business as usual. Uh, most hmm. of our, we get a lot of energy from geothermal. So, you know, that does have a lower carbon footprint, but you've got to remember, you know, everything has a carbon footprint. Solar panels have a huge carbon footprint. Yeah. If every renewable is made with hydrocarbons. We're still burning a lot of coal in New Zealand for um, generating electricity. We don't have nuclear because we had a big movement, you know, three decades ago to prevent the nuclear. And we got had the country to nuclear free. So that was a big victory for us. But I think what you've got to remember with industrial civilization is it's a heat engine. No matter what you power it with, it's a heat engine. Um, Tim Garrett, uh, a professor from the University of Utah, has written extensively on that. If anyone wants to uh, learn more about that phenomenon, uh, look up Tim Garrett from the University of Utah. Um, Industrial civilization is an heat engine.
4: And, and while everything does create uh, uh, carbon footprints, what we can do is we can focus on managing what we're choosing to enact upon. For example, like the solar panels. Um, There was a recent article, I think it was about two weeks ago and damned if I can't seem to find it because I was just looking for it. But they said that they identified one of the problems in uh, solar panels that it's in the silicon that they're using to make them that causes it to be as inefficient as they are today and that they think they have found a way around the inefficiency. Now, granted, this is a, well, we've identified the problem. We think we know a way around it. We may end up getting around it. We may end up not. It depends. It it depends on a lot of things. Um, I hope we get around it because I'd love to see them become more and more efficient because that means higher efficient carbon uh, solar panels, less solar panels required to produce the necessary energy, lower carbon footprint. We have to get there but we have to focus on that stuff too and we're not we're focusing on getting coal to
0: yeah ha, ha, and i have even more che- bad news for you bloody cheeto with freaking legs i have even worse news for you <laughs> the arctic is losing so much ice um, yeah you know, it's it's about 40 degrees celsius warmer than normal um, it is losing bad. a lot of ice And instead of people worrying about, oh, dear, what's going to happen when we lose all of the ice and we get even more heat absorbed. um, Some of the capitalists are like, oh, goody, free resources. Let's go get more resources. The ice is melting. Great. And, uh, you know, planning on uh, trade routes through the Bering Strait, all sorts of things are taking advantage of this.
1: Yeah. They'll get the, uh, the Northwest Passage won't require icebreakers at this rate. That's true. You know, and it's.
0: So I don't see us doing yeah. anything to, uh, try to slow this down. If anything, we're, we're making it worse.
1: Oh. And it I'm does kind of, it, it, it does kind of turn into that damned if you do damned, if you don't, that you said before, I mean, yeah, th- the devices we use to try to make things better have to come from somewhere.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So You know, unless you, you know, unless we find a way to get rid of fuel, you know, like stop using fossil fuels and just devote hydrocarbons to making things like the plastics and the synthetics we need to build these machines to make things more efficient. But I can't see that happening.
4: I mean, when I I read an article that was about. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. So these, the numbers may have long since changed than then, since then. But they were saying that a barrel, one barrel of oil does not become one, you know, does not go 100% towards making fuel. No. That only uh, a, 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 uh, less than half percentage something like 20 or 25 percent of that barrel went towards making fuel for vehicles like diesel and gasoline and the rest went towards making plastics for like prosthetics for um well basically anything that uses plastic whether it's car parts your leg uh a hip you know stuff in a hospital whatever
3: a bottle First of water bags. huh yeah Bottle of water consumed is the yep. largest Yeah, that, that, that that's where most of the fossil fuel goes
4: is to, to plastics. No. That's why Industry. I use a Refillable steel container
2: mm-hmm. when, when we're all talking about what we can do to reduce our emissions and and all of these ideas that we're uh, bouncing around You've got to remember that capitalism has no interest in reducing consumption it's a system based on infinite growth, and you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. But another thing that we really need to talk about, and I think it's lost a lot of time in environmental discussions, is, that, is militarism. The Pentagon is the single largest consumer of hydrocarbons on the planet. We can talk about getting solar panels, but if we don't, if we don't pull in the military-industrial complex and stop all that militarism, all of these little acts that we do have an immeasurable effect. You know, and I'm not saying people shouldn't do it, but I think we have to be honest with ourselves about where we are in this predicament. I live in a solar-powered house on an island in the Hauraki Gulf in New Zealand. The price of of the, uh, the installation now is 10%. It was 10 times more when I did it than it would cost me to do it now. That's how much the price of solar panels has plummeted. But that has no effect on the on the military-industrial complex and the responses to it. The U.S. is the most militarized country in the history of our species. Yeah. And they, they, they're, they're burning all these hydrocarbons. And then, of course, China and Russia have to respond. So there's a feedback loop in itself.
4: And I, I can honestly say that I've seen uh, on some of the buildings that they've built on the Base that I work on, they're installing solar panels if they don't already have them. They've been installing s- solar panels to um, compensate for the energy draw that goes on inside the buildings throughout the day.
2: It is greenwash, though. Eh? We
4: know that. I'd rather than make I'd rather than make the effort
2: than just not do anything at all. Yeah, yeah, but I think we have to see through the effort as well, though. That's important not to fall for it and say, oh, well, you know, we're starting or we're doing something.
1: Well, and I've I've said before that they really should be working on scaling back the military. I mean, what, what was the last budget? Six, $700 billion to spend to go fight. You know, again, no, no criticism to anybody on this panel, but um, sorry, America. Y'all got this nasty habit of going poking
3: sticks at everybody.
1: Yeah, as if to try to prove the, how tough you are.
3: Do you even know what the military is doing? I mean, basically, how many bases has the U.S. got all over the world? And all of this is to, uh, quote, believe
4: unquote, you, protect not,
3: American interests in other countries.
4: You won't have an, an, an exact answer for that.
3: No. because well, you, No, you can if you dig. Enough. I mean, basically yeah. what they're doing is protecting the exploitation of other countries' natural resources.
0: Yeah.
4: You, 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 first off, just so you know, over in chat, uh, Sujin has a question for our guest. And then second, um, ju- there are things that I can't say. There are things that I know that I'm not allowed to talk about. But what I, The things I can say is that um, unless you have a certain level of clearance, you will never know where they all exist. Hmm.
3: you're not allowed hundreds. to talk about you'd have to explain that
0: yeah we have hundreds we know go <laughs> work
4: for the government Joseph Daniel under- <laughs> you work for the government? yeah mm-hmm. you
0: know,
4: <laughs> I'm not saying where or who
1: yeah, yeah I mean I, I already know we can hear the thunder at your place I, I don't want to end up hearing a particular ominous knocking on the door uh, we're, not, we're not here to get people in trouble Trouble.
4: I'm just is, saying, is, I'm is not willing to lose gonna, my job over this. Sorry. Is this,
3: <laughs> this is a good place to insert that. Yeah, I can tell you, but I have to kill you after.
4: <laughs> no, actually, if I told you, I would just end up losing my job and probably, and depending on what I told, I may end up going to jail mm-hmm. and losing yeah. custody of my son. I
1: was gonna say to say nothing of the blackballing that would happen
3: afterwards too. Yeah, but anyways, like our guest has a point. There's, you know, there's a lot of facade going on in the foreground. while everybody or nobody has much of an idea about what's going on in the background. No. And
1: actually to, Oh God, what country was it? Um, I think it was Romania years ago, uh, Ceausescu, he was assassinated or he was killed and they ransacked the offices of the government. And the dirty little secrets they pulled up were for that country were monumental.
4: See, the thing is, is that any, any country you go to that has a military power, I guarantee you they're going to have hidden locations, hidden facilities, hidden bases. I can't, I can't say whether or not our country has it because I can't say, but I I can say I, I can infer from the things that we learn when secrets when whistleblowers blow the whistle and when people come to light in all these different countries that have military might reasons show it stands to reason that they all do Mm -hmm. and And uh, as far as uh, the military being you know heart hydrocarbon high usage Uh, Sujin wants to know that with hydrocarbons have a huge energy output uh, making it so needed. Would a paradigm shift from brute power to finesse be needed to curb uh, long-term use or use long-term? Sorry.
1: Yeah, I guess, Kevin, what the, what the question is uh, to you is right now, there's a lot of, you know, there's, chest thumping, fist pounding about, you know, stop the use of this, stop the use of that. Are we going about it the wrong way? Like, should we be looking at more of a, like you said, finesse more nuanced approach to change the culture to the point where some kind of alternative becomes more likable.
2: Well, I, I think the answer to that is that some of us have been trying to overthrow capitalism all our adult lives. That definitely applies to me. But we, we've been completely unsuccessful, and, and capitalism has effectively ground the living planet into dust. There's a few things that we have to consider when we're talking about the situation that we're in at the moment is the fact that there's a 10- to 30-year lag between when emissions go into the atmosphere and where we see the chaos from those emissions so what what, all the chaos that we're watching unfold on the planet at the moment is predominantly from emissions from last century and then another thing that all the ngos used to talk about and never mention anymore is feedback loops and we have triggered so many free um, feedback loops that multiply the effect all the time bridget earlier on mentioned the loss of the sea ice in the arctic and very few people understand the arctic albedo feedback loop. And it's terrifying. The amount of more warming that we're going to get as we lose all of that ice is extraordinary. And that's just one of six dozen feedback loops that I know. of.
1: So yeah, the honestly, the the question comes up is what can we do? Like, I think everybody's everybody's looking for a solution of some kind or trying to find something but you know, using my blue bin to do my recycling, it doesn't seem like a lot. And as a matter of fact, uh, our my country just got a huge chunk of egg on its face recently, as a uh, barge full of garbage found its way back here from the Philippines because apparently we shipped the wrong thing or it wasn't quite right. And what the hell are we doing shipping garbage to the Philippines in the first place? You know. So it just seems that no matter what we do, we are a wasteful species. We are, we, we generate more crap than anything else, Well, than any other species on the planet. But I mean, we're the, we're the only ones that, that do this.
3: I think yeah. one of the biggest sources of the problem is that, um, <clears throat> we're an individualist society. I mean, we're living together in, uh, Interdependent groups, but we don't think beyond our own comfort level. And uh, actually, what we're seeing is just an accumulation of all that.
2: Well, and I'll, actually, I'll talk about the recycling uh, issue for a second. I lived in Germany um, 20 years ago, and there was a big scandal where a whole lot of Germany's recycling. You know, Germany was the country that that first brought recycling to. To the Western world, and it, it went everywhere from there. And there was this big scandal where eighty percent of the recycling that they would shipped to the Ivory Coast for reprocessing never arrived. It never cleared customs at the other end. They were throwing it overboard in the middle of the ocean. That was what that's what happened to Germany's recycling. And and in the anti-nuclear circles that I I I. I'm involved in because I've been an anti-nuclear activist all my adult life. Well, one one of my Facebook friends on in a comment one day said that he'd worked on a on a nuclear uh, aircraft carrier, and he said they used to fr- fire Their waste drums overboard. That's how they dealt with it. Hmm. It's always worse than we know. No matter what we know about the situation, it is it is and can only be worse than we know. So here's a question.
4: Whenever we have an issue arise where we learn that we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't, most average person, out of comfort, like Joseph was saying, is going to stay with the damned if we don't because it's um, it's less energy intensive. It requires less effort. Less change. Less change, less effort, more of their comfort zone. Well, hey, you know, if I'm going to be damned if I do and damned if I don't, I'm going to buy the plastic bags that are not biodegradable because I don't want my groceries to fall over the ground. Rather than buying bags made out of hemp, which break down just fine if you throw them in, you know, assuming they're not coated with tons of resin and all the other crap and pigments and so on and so forth. What can we do that we're currently looking into that is showing promise? Anybody?
3: (laughs) What we're doing right now?
4: What are we talking about it? Talking talking only gets you so far. Talking, raising awareness, that's great. But there needs to be an action to go along with the talk. If Um, there's no action to go with it, then we have done nothing
3: that, that that hides a greater huger problem is that uh, You know most people on this planet Don't seem to think autonomously and they've uh, outsourced their own survival to uh, You know, whatever they they rely on for their comfort you know, whether uh, again, Apple or the supermarket or whatever and they they don't think beyond that
4: uh, Okay, great you're talking about getting the conversation going. We've been doing I'm talking
3: about people thinking because there's no discussion with somebody who will only rationalize their own comfort.
4: Okay. Of the people who are thinking, who are coming up with ideas, and, and this goes out to anybody on the panel, what ideas that are coming up that we can technologically implement in today's society is showing promise, potential promise, in terms of turning this
2: around. That's my question, Joseph. Well, well um, my answer to that would be that there isn't, like, there isn't anything in any way, shape, or form that is scalable that is going to achieve that. We're not going forwards, we're going backwards. We've in, in the last 25 years, we emitted more emissions into the atmosphere than in the previous 200. That's the scale of where we're going at. There's, there's, two, there's two interesting people who have come onto the climate change scene in the last um, year or so um, into the general public called Jim Bendel and Rupert Reed. Jim Bendel wrote a paper called Deep Adaption, and Rupert Reed's prognosis, Both of them is their prognosis is that industrial civilization will collapse within the next 10 years because of climate change and an interesting thing that jim bandell has said with regard to that you know because people are saying well, what can we do what can we do the quote from jim bandell is getting busy with action can be a distraction from full acceptance of our predicament and i think that's a very very good um uh, analysis of of uh, our position people all want to get busy you know but, Extinction Rebellion is the big push now. Is to get every government to declare a climate emergency. Well, you know, so what? What's that going to do? There is nothing that they can do because we've already gone off the cliff. That's the that's the predicament that we find ourselves in. We're having this conversation, like, like um, what was the two women who drove off the cliff? Um, Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. We're having a Thelma and Louise conversation as we've. Climb it into the abyss. That's extraordinary.
3: But Tama and Luis were driving the car, uh, whereas most people today aren't. Most people Somebody are in the Somebody else is seat. doing the driving. Yeah, yeah it's like uh, people in the back seat. Uh, what's the what's the analogy? The car we're driving off a cliff, and um, everybody in the car is arguing about who wants to ride shotgun or something like that. More
4: like a yeah. More like a case of a bus full of lemmings driving off the cliff. Yeah, but here's going back to
3: what going about going the lemming to-
4: who wants to jump out? <laughs> what does that lemming do? Yeah,
3: but I
1: think what it is—that's um, not it, a lemming. No, Joseph, to borrow your analogy, I think what it is is we, we we don't see the we're not seeing the goal. We're we're so busy oh. squabbling about all these other things, we're not seeing the cliff oh. or the wall that's coming. Oh
3: we can't we we really have to analyze this and um we, we can't just lump everything together as like society you know there's part of the society i mean there's lots of ideas out there about what mm-hmm. to do the problem is implementing them because society is being controlled by actually a very few people um yeah. who just won't allow it i mean they've been do you remember going back to the 1970s they came out with uh the electric car—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not from yesterday. Even back in the seventies, they had it, and they killed it. Well, even um, they tried. I, uh, yeah,
1: and I saw this one recently too about uh, railways in America.
3: Well, geez, yeah, like that, Hello, um, France, like TGV, uh, like uh, like going back to nineteen
4: seventy-six. Yeah, but, can we um, set up a self-sustaining system, say on? The moon? Do we have enough time to shoot a bunch of uh, greenhouses and such up there? Basically, all the materials we would need to literally tunnel into the moon, make a whole bunch of areas that could sustain, say, you know, thousand, two thousand, three thousand people for, you know, 200, 300, 400 years of, of, of uh, you know, um, um, I, I don't think recycling, can... uh, uh, systems you know, for oxygen and water and all that other crap. So I mean, can we I'm... do something like that? Why don't there we was do a um here first. Well, you see, the thing is there
1: was a no no Joseph, off...
4: we can't t- fix things here first, is what Kevin's mm-hmm. saying. Kevin's saying that ultimately, according to many of the smart people, that we're out of control. We're on a crazy train, we're heading off a cliff, and there's nowhere to get off. Well, this is so eventually... how about we take some cautions? Like, for example, we have seed vaults, okay. We have several seed vaults on the planet that are designed so that in the worst catastrophes possible, we still have plant material uh, and genetic plant material that we could use to possibly reseed different uh, strains of uh, vegetables and so on and so forth. Uh, You know, all the technical words for plants and such. Well, my only problem with those are, if those places fall, then there's nothing left why don't we have a seed vault on the moon, you know, or two seed vaults on the moon, one on each side, one on the dark side, one on the light side, you mm, know? Wow.
1: You know, there was, a, I can't find it right now, but there was a book that I read years ago. Uh, it was called, I think it was called New World Order. And this actually follows what you were talking about, tak, where the, the planet was in trouble as it is now. And there was an initiative for, several elite people or considered elite would fly to another planet and start a civilization there. And there was like a big conspiracy about the whole thing. Um, kind of the adventures and everything. What ended up happening is the rockets did launch. They did make it to the planet, but so did the typical culture and mindset that, that. Got the planet in the trouble in the first place and within 200 years, they had laid waste to the planet just from their what, own stupidity.
3: What you've got is just this greater society just dependent on a few sources for their survival. Yeah. And, and that's it, that's what has to change. I mean, people yeah. have to, you know, if you don't think autonomously, you're not responsible for your own
4: survival. Well, according to Kevin, we're going to be forced kicking and screaming into that scenario. Well, yeah. what's going
3: to happen is basically, you know, these these guys, uh, the the one percent or whatever, they're they're not going to like re- relinquish any control at all. So the whole thing's going to come down. The best thing we can do is just come up with alternative solutions with an after.
4: Uh, I mean, in in the immediate, that's the best thing we can do. In the immediate, immediate I don't think people are going to go hungry because they're going to eat the rich.
0: Well, well, actually, I to have to get property in New Zealand because that would be, like, one of the best places to be when all hell breaks loose. This, um, that's a good really question. There, oh,
2: there okay. are a lot of billionaires coming to New Zealand build, building bunkers. It's a it's a growth industry. Jeez.
4: <laughs> bunkers? Yes. Mm. Okay. See, so I was thinking there more line of...
0: There of uh... and leaving the rest of us to just... <laughs> Whatever is it Greenland that's
4: got the snow, or is it Iceland that's got the snow? It's one of the two of them has got like hot springs all over the place, and they do that's iceland yeah, probably. Iceland, iceland.
0: They- uh Greenland has all the ice sheets that are now melting It's the- not very permanently frozen anymore
3: yeah, For for the coming client the climate change, I think the best place to be uh in the future is gonna be um middle Canada.
4: Give me the mountains. I I love the mountains. I could survive in the mountains.
1: I would want to stay as far away from any coastline as possible.
4: Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm living on one.
1: Yeah. I I think for the near future, I'll be staying right where I am because, well, I'm right where Joseph mentioned, you know, a little little West of center. I'll admit,
3: but, um, Um, my center latitude wise. Kevin,
4: you look like you were going to inject
2: on, on that one. Oh. I think the issue, the issue of um, sea level rise is a bit of a red herring. It's definitely important for my na- neighbours in places like Kiribati because just a, a, a very small increase in, water, in sea level, even a few centimetres, uh, makes their wells brackish because there's more hydraulic pressure. Yeah. So there's more salt intrusion into their wells, the pH of the soil changes, productivity plummets. But I think that habitat will collapse on this planet, and it is already. I believe it's already in collapse. I think habitat will collapse before we see a a meter of sea level rise. We mean habitat. uh, I'm believing as as the the temperature goes up, the flora can't adapt. We can adapt. We can go and be out in 50 degrees outside, and then go into an air conditioned room and walk backwards and forward. We can do that. But the flora can't do that, and they can't move. All the plants on the planet have evolved for the climate that exists where they exist. When that changes, a whole lot of those, you know, you're seeing the tree die-offs in America and in Canada. That's happening all around the world. So habitat is collapsing. We've toxified the whole planet that we're in an insect apocalypse now. That's a well documented fact. I interviewed Professor Paul Ehrlich about his his paper, peer reviewed science paper called The Annihilation of Nature. Oh, all that's happening now? Paul Ehrlich. He's um, from Stanford University. He wrote The Population Bomb in 1968 when I was 8 years old.
3: Yeah, just look at the extinction rate. Um, there are statistics on this out there. I mean over the past uh, you know, uh, as long as we've been documenting history.
4: So what should individual people do? Individual, just run-of-the-mill people who can think for themselves, but maybe are not aware of what the best actions are to take at this point, rather than focusing on whether or not their Tupperware is re- uh, recyclable or not. Yeah, I'm paying attention to the live chat. Um or you know whether or not they get a car that gets 45 miles to the gallon instead of 40. if that's not going to make the impact that's necessary and they need to worry about their survival and they don't have the money to move to new zealand and build a bunker
2: what should they do
3: oh get a castle in burgundy
2: <laughs> <laughs> well my response my response to that is i believe that we're in planetary hospice I believe the whole biosphere is in hospice, and, okay. and it's gone off, and it's and it's un, it's impossible to fix it. So what what I would suggest is people live like they have a terminal diagnosis. Get their bucket list done in whatever way they can. Do the good things to, that, for, to look after their family and friends. Get the hell out of cities. When collapse unfolds, the worst place you want to be is in a city, and then That's... just pre- prepare for the worst. Because that's coming I live yeah.
4: right down the street from a nuclear power plant run by the French <laughs> <laughs> so I know what's going to happen the second that thing starts to uh, uh, go wrong they're all going to go <sighs> and
2: back up <laughs> I'm kidding one of, the things that happens, one of the things that happens in big disasters is the first responders don't turn up for work if you if your house gets hit by it, it gets hit by a tornado and gets destroyed the fireman and you're a fireman you don't go to work you know if you're if you're an ambulance driver and you and your family get hurt you don't go to work so that's what will happen the first responders won't turn up people just get used to all the time thinking oh someone will come to the rescue there is no life there's there's no lifeboats for an extinction event. there is no one coming to the rescue yes yeah, i've got just... a bug out bag
4: I, i've got just bare essentials that I would need to get me through very simple things like I have a multi-tool. I, well, I actually have multiple multi-tools. I have one. I always carry on my hip. One I always keep in my car, um, matches that are coated in wax to resist weather and they are strike anywhere. Um, I have uh, a couple ponchos, uh, just on the off chance I need them. They can be repurposed for other things like water collection and so on and so forth. Um, a battery bank that actually has its own built-in solar cell. Yeah, it's not going to charge very quickly, especially if it's overcast or there's no sun whatsoever. Um, But I don't have one that's that small, renewable, and hand-cranked, which is, I would prefer a dynamo one, but I I just don't have one with that capacity. But, um, you know, I've got little things, little things that are important, because what's not important, it's not, you know, my green St. Paddy's Day hat. That's not important for me, you know. It's, I've got a clean pair of underwear and some clean socks in my bug out bag. You know that that's important. I've got bandages and water tight sealed containers in, because that's an important first aid kit. But um, you know that stuff only goes so far. I know how to what? make a splint. I know how to make a tourniquet. I've had that kind of training before. I know how to Good make a fire, but a lot of people don't know that stuff.
3: I've seen firsthand. Um, back here in, in Paris, about ten years ago, we had uh, just in our block we had a power outage that lasted a week. I mean, like uh, something pretty major happened. And I want that
4: two weeks. Just straight, a hurricane. Just
3: dealing fine. with my neighbors, you know, just <clears> observing <throat> their behavior when they had no electricity. They they hadn't a fucking clue, and you know, they came in with generators um to mm-hmm. to replace the power and then i get this knock on my door and my neighbor comes up to you goes oh yeah well i turned everything back on they put the generator on and and uh you know everything's not working properly like they haven't got a fucking clue it i mean even you know it's a generator so you've got a limited power source like that and people the first instinct is just turn all the power shit back on
4: yeah i mean and if you're hooking you a no generator to that. your to, to your home system, you need to shut everything off before you even turn the generator on. Otherwise, you're can you can not-
3: imagine what would happen if, like, if the power supply goes down. Or imagine if the food supplies goes down. Nothing more in the supermarket. Things are going to get very ugly very fast. Yep.
0: Oh imagine- guys,
2: guys, Wait, guys. Hold on, hold on. Let Kevin oh. talk. Just imagine if there's an EMP. A, a electromagnetic pulse that takes out the internet. That means Because every shop now just about everywhere on the planet is using the internet to operate the cash registers Most people most people are paying with a card not paper anymore not most mm-hmm. a lot of people
3: cash registers deliveries um, shipping schedules trans- flashlights
4: Transports. Believe it or not flashlights I've got a flashlight here that actually has circuitry built into it, you can't really see it very well, but this has circuitry in it for uh, adjusting output and so on and so forth. And that's becoming more and more common with LED style uh, flashlights. Now I have other flashlights that don't have that. And more importantly, I've got tools that don't require any kind of electricity that allow me to make other tools such as a stick, two sticks to rub together, Uh, a fire bow that sort of thing but those are not skills that people have anymore
1: well and it's too bad um i was actually watching a a show earlier or a thing on youtube earlier today um and the person the host of the show mentioned that um preppers were being cast in a pretty bad light these days because they're thought of as you know the doomsayers you know we we have to have six months worth of water and six months worth of non-perishable food goods in case the big thing happens and actually this was on that's
4: assuming um, you can
1: stay in place too uh, yeah and actually what this happened what this came on the heels of is uh just recently in california and i uh, unfortunately i wasn't watching the news much today uh
4: they had a 7.1 earthquake yeah
1: Mm -hmm. and they're actually they're bracing for a possible
4: 7.8 in the next few days the first quake was 6.4, and that was mm-hmm. the original quake because it was so high. But when the 7.1 hit, they reclassified the 6.4 as the 4 quake. Yes. The 7.1 is the current quake, and they're scared as crap about the afterquake. Yeah.
3: But, but the, everybody's um, still living there. I mean, look at San Francisco. They're overdue by what? Oh, God. You know, a musician I... Do you guys
2: know I, the link between climate change and... Um, and- uh, earthquakes and tectonic activity.
4: That I'm not. Direct...
2: I'm yeah, it's called iso- isostatic rebound. When we melt the poles, and especially or somewhere like Greenland, which is the largest um, island in the world covered in kilometres deep ice, when that ice melts, it takes the weight off the tectonic plates, and it can make the plates move more. I think one of the reasons why you're seeing more earthquakes in california or in the united states is because you have drain your aquifers those aquifers with all that fossil water that all that weight has been removed off those plates that makes it easier for them to move it lets the tension release easier we're going to see more earthquakes as a result of climate change
3: we're basically living on a table floating in a pool of course, the action's much slower, but I mean, that's you know, tip down one end, the
4: other end's going to go up according to what I'm reading. And this is just really early stuff that I'm reading into it's saying that the isostatic rebound, um, we've s- it's been in all the other ice ages. I was like, there's been more than one ice age. Okay, I just learned something. <laughs> you didn't know that.
1: You're kidding! kidding. Te- tech, you're killing me here. You didn't know <laughs> there was more than one ice age.
4: Mind you, there. Been failing the older I've been getting. <laughs> there are some things I had to go and relearn stuff that I knew I knew, but I couldn't remember for the life of me. Stuff in science class, in earth science, for example, about dealing with. Um, acidity okay. That the pH scale, for example, I had to go and relearn the pH scale about eight years ago because I forgot it and I was trying to remember it because I was, I was trying to tell my son something. and I'm going, Oh crap, <laughs> I knew this thing inside now. I know I knew this thing inside now. <laughs> I was like the best in the damn class. How the hell did I forget this?
1: Shit? Yeah, um, yeah.
4: and so, uh, so I had to go relearn it. So, my brain yeah I'm more than likely was very familiar with the fact that we had more than one ice age throughout our history. Mm-hmm. Um but at the moment my brain does not recall it either because it's late or because of my age or just because of lack of practice. You know what's like so with
2: language. And, or because of more carbon in the atmosphere and there's a direct carbon in the atmosphere and cognitive um response to it. We're getting dumber as the... As I'm the using carbon that goes at work.
0: Up. <laughs> It's true.
4: <laughs> it, 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 well, true or not, I'm using that at work. Because Somebody goes, hey, why didn't you remember this? I was like, uh, there's too much carbon in the air. Give me an eraser. <laughs> Let me snort an eraser.
1: If we can find a... Yeah, if we can find some kind of correlation between uh, carbon, carbon presence in the air and neuroplasticity. Wow.
4: Well, we, we had it with lead from fuels. Oh, yeah, I, re- I remember that, that one. Not just uh, that, but aggression too.
1: Well, yeah, because, you know, lead drives everybody batshit crazy. Yeah. You know.
4: But the. Yeah.
1: Uh, it either kills you in the shape of a bullet or it slow kills you in the
4: shape of uh, emissions. I can on- honestly say that uh, um, I'm happy in one respect. My son has much better um, survival skills in terms of like hunting and, and uh, that, that kind of training than I do. Uh, he actually has real life experience, actually uh, uh, hunting a uh, game, whereas mind stops at plant and fish. Ah, I was about to ask you you'd never gone fishing. Yeah, um, that's, so, that, so, that's so, where so, mine stops. His progresses beyond that.
3: I, I, I know that promoting, you know one's survival skills is uh, well, something we do, but I mean actually basic human survival, it's not that complicated.
4: No, it's you know um, if you can get yourself shelter, to- if you can get yourself fire, you can get yourself food, and you can get yourself water, you can survive. You may okay. not and even, be if, a you, even if you comfortable in the world, but you can survive.
3: Even if you don't know how to do it, it does not take long to learn. Yeah,
4: show of hands here.
3: Uh anybody
1: here um former members of the Boy Scouts from back in the day.
4: No. I got kicked out.
1: Waving hand madly. Okay,
4: I learned what I needed to learn, but I got kicked out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Talk about. Um, okay, at least my own experience. I learned to build a fire. Uh, that I could uh, strike with one match and have burning. Like I, I could, I could start a bonfire that way. Uh, learn to build a lean-to for shelter. Rudimentary, yes. Learn to build a Quincy. Which is, uh, uh, you almost want to call it a poor man's igloo. Uh, basically, you heap a crap of snow up into a great big mound, and then tunnel it out. Oh, we do that in our backyard. <laughs> well, yeah, but but again, th- this is stuff that we learned. You know that you know I went on camps for this. Uh, I did learn a lot of the survival skills, if you will. And it's really a shame these days that the the whole idea of scouting seems to come under a, a huge bad light for the reasons of, you know, we've got some bad players in there, but I think having something like that, where kids do go out and learn this stuff, um,
4: I, I can't really call it, I, that don't teach it are going to wipe themselves off the mat. Yeah. When I was in Boy Scouts, I learned how to handle a knife. I learned how to sharpen a knife. I learned how to respect the knife. Mm-hmm. I learned how to make fires uh, three different ways. <clears> I learned um, cooking skills, uh, very sure. simple cooking skills, uh, things that would mean the difference between, oh, look, I've picked a plant here that I can eat versus <laughs> why do I have stomach cramps? Why am I uh, going to the bathroom 24-7, and why am I going to die from it? Um See, this is the beautiful thing about having a mushroom allergy. It
1: doesn't matter if it's good or not. I ain't going to eat it.
4: (laughs) Now, here's the thing I can say about my training. My training pertained to a time when I lived in a different state, in a different area of that state versus where I'm living right now. And I can tell you that the foliage and all the available plants, the edibles versus non-edibles, they're all different. Well, for the most part, they're all different. And that's a big deal. You know, because some people who remember their training, think about it. I just admitted that my memory is fallible. There's a lot of people who don't want to admit that they're fallible. And, you know, they went through and they did the Boy Scout thing. And they learned what they could eat in their area, how to handle knives and all that stuff. So they're still happy. You know, they're still you know, good with handling their knife, they're still good with handling fire and such. And they're like, oh yeah, these plants I can eat this and that and the other thing. Except the problem is they live in a different state. And, you know, maybe they forgot to book up on their uh, plants which are ones are consumable, which ones are not. Yeah. So I think it needs to be an ongoing process, you know, not just get the kids involved, but keep going, you know, and learn about surrounding areas that you may have to travel to. Kind of like learning about, like if I was going to travel to New Zealand, I would learn things that, you know, assuming that the world wasn't collapsing around us, I'd have to learn about their driving laws, whether or not I would be able to drive with an American license. Some countries like Germany and America, they have certain agreements, but other ones don't, so on and so forth. Could I get a, you know, take a test in New Zealand to drive? Um, Is that even a requirement? So on and so forth. What do I need to look at in terms of getting my currency converted? You know, all these things I'd have to look into. And yet there are so many Americans who would travel to New Zealand, just assume since they can, you know, they speak English. Yeah. They would just, why do I have to convert this? You speak English. Here, take my American money.
1: Here's, I've got a story about that. Um, uh, You're
4: You're part of the United States. Just take my American money.
1: No, no. Before I go though, uh, Kevin, I just wanted to post warn you, uh, we do tend to go down a few rabbit holes on the show. So if it looks like we're kind of deviating, I do apologize. Um, although, um, usually we, we can loop it back, but, um, but speaking of the, uh, American sense of, but I'm an American, uh, my parents were, um, district governors for the lions club for a year and the final trip for all the governors of that year ended up in seoul south korea and exactly what you described tech happened there Oh! oh. instead of you know sampling a lot of the culture and stuff like that there was well where can i get a burger where where can i get this and keep in mind this was that makes my head hurt this was i want to say early to mid 90s that this happened so a, a lot of the commercialization that you see nowadays wasn't there. And
4: they also didn't have Google translate.
1: Yeah. And, and my family or my, uh, some family friends also had the same problem in Thailand. You know, there, there was this big celebration. They put up this humongous spread of food, but of course the Americans wanted the American food and the people there weren't too, they weren't too up on how to cook it. So, you know, look I, I don't do the best stake in the world but apparently i did it better than these people to hear them talk um well yeah there there is a lot of that and i i think to our to civilization's detriment um and, and not even you know you don't even have to move from you know from canada to, or from north america to a place like new zealand uh awesome as that would be because i've always wanted to go <laughs> uh I've, I've always wanted, I love to travel, but, um, just getting out of the cities, you know, I've, I've driven, well, hell, I I just drove from here to Idaho recently. May even have to get
4: out of the suburbs too.
1: Yeah. But there's a whole lot of open space in between. And, you know, I was looking at the signal on my phone and, you know, I watched it drop. I watched it come back. I watched it drop. so a lot of the stuff that we take for granted in an urban setting, you know, a lot of people today don't have it or they don't have it as well as we do. And, you know, for somebody who was born and raised in the city and had no knowledge of anything, uh, just go camping for a weekend has got to be torture for some of them. Here's well,
0: something
4: else.
0: and the loop, things back to habitat. Mm-hmm um, there are villages in Africa that people are having to completely abandon because they have no water and they can no longer grow food there. And we're going to see more of that and look at what's going on in the Midwest here in the United States. Yeah. Um, I mean, their whole growing season is shot. And this is going to be the new normal, um, right now the jet stream just kind of wobbles instead of, you know, going in its normal pattern. It's just stalling out. We're going to have persistent weather patterns that are just the same old, same old, And this is
1: what a lot of people don't understand. Uh, especially people in an urban setting is, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, my climate is perfect. And then you go to the store and suddenly that loaf of bread is either not there or costs five times what it did before well why is that well because the climate change has basically killed the wheat production for this year
0: well it has in australia uh they're having the same problems we're having in reverse they're having so much drought mm-hmm. they usually grow their own wheat, and they're having to import wheat
1: yeah and
0: here's, not good.
1: I, i'm waiting for the um I, i'm waiting for the thoughts and prayers and to uh the the wasn't there a prayer vigil for rain one year or something as you oh, know there was that. in
0: texas and then they got like Flooded.
1: Apparently, they are <laughs> mm, mm, Be careful what labor. you wish for. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but yeah. Th- this is going to be the the new way it is, and you know people are going to have to be ready for it. And, I don't know that, what we're going to do here because with the cereal crops gone, you know what do you do?
4: That, that's another thing. Uh, like Kevin was talking about with the internet being the foundation of communication uh, our cell phones, all our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. if that collapses you know the only people assuming it's not collapsed by emp okay assuming it's just collapsed the cell phone structure uh, infrastructure went down because there were flooding and it was wiping out the cell base stations and so on and so forth right and the stations that allow you you like the iridium network system is not relaying properly and such there's only going to be one group assuming everything is hunky dory with the ionosphere that's going to be able to communicate and that's the ham radio operators. How many people other than like Sujin have forget a ham radio license, just have a radio that picks up UHF signals. Mm -hmm. I've got one on the way because I was looking into ham radio operation, um, as a lesson for my son regarding communications because we, he relies on cell phone. I rely on cell phone and I realized there's other means of communication, and I was just thinking about that just now. Thanks to Kevin, thank you very much, sir, uh, reminding us that you know our communications infrastructure could easily just go like that up in smoke.
0: Yeah.
4: And but ham doesn't. Ham doesn't require that infrastructure. At most, it requires relays, uh, you know, repeaters. But anybody can set up a repeater with the right hardware. Anybody can change out their antennas and their frequencies to bounce off the ionosphere. And if most of the government communications offline, if most of the commercial communications offline, a lot of those frequencies are going to be cleared that allow you to talk halfway around the world, it will really depend on the weather, uh, whether there's solar flares and all that other crap building up as to whether or not the reception is good or spotty or at all.
1: Now, just going off of that tech, uh, just when you mentioned ham radio, I decided to go looking uh, here locally to see what was available in terms of training.
4: It's um, all over the place.
1: I, I know, but I, I just wanted to get it out there that, um, like here in Calgary, uh, there's a 14 week course starting in uh, starting in September. Uh, mo- yeah, Monday evenings for 14 weeks, so 14 evenings total. Uh, tuition cost. Sixty-five dollars, and we just lost tech when I told him that. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, I was just saying, fourteen uh, the, the the course uh, for here sixty-five dollars for fourteen weeks, and after that, you get your license.
4: Yeah. So and then, so and getting then there's, that there's skill... other stuff you don't have to do the course stuff here in the states. Yeah. In the states, there's actual websites that go. Here's the four hundred plus questions that could possibly be asked on your exam. Mm-hmm. You're going to be given something like thirty-eight or forty-two or some number of that, and you have to get this many of them right. So, do our flashcards. Learn, you know, and in the flashcards are all things that you could do on, you know, either their laws and regulations or things that if you pick up your little ham radio, like like a little Beofang, um, for example, that you can get for like twenty-five bucks on american on amazon a little uh dual band uhf radio you can try the settings and as long as you're not broadcasting you're not breaking the rules you can tune into any channel you want that picks up you're Mm -hmm. not breaking the rules it's broadcasting that you need the license for so you can listen all you want and getting one and getting hands-on practice setting it putting in the relay stations, uh, the repeater stations and so on and so forth that it talks about and learning the things uh, in the flashcards. If you buckle down and, and do that, you could do it in just a couple days and get your license. Yeah. And then there's several different levels um, where the one where you operate, uh, depending on what channels are on and, and uh, what you can do on those channels. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If the world goes to hell, the last thing you, is you, you're going to need to be worrying about is the FCC coming looking for you for radio.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's
4: more of you have one that you know how to tune into the channels. You know what the dedicated channels are for areas or face, is, uh, races or, or the, the various help channels are. For your area because it's going to be different depending on the country that you're in like Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it would be for New Zealand, but I've seriously doubt it's going to be the channels that we use here in the States. And um, If your radio is capable of it, at least you can tune in and listen because that's better, you know, like when we were growing up, how many of us had a little battery powered radio with the candles when the storm knocked out the power? Mm -hmm. I sat around the radio as a kid. How about you guys? I, yeah. I see
1: Kevin nodding. Yeah, so usually back home, if uh, if our power went out, chances are the radio went out too.
4: Yeah, and if so, Just if you had the, the radio the station itself, the went batteries out. <laughs> in, your radio was working again. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I,
1: I think um, we we've kind of. I mean, if we are past the point of no return, and it sounds like we very well might be. Um. The best we can do now I, I like kevin i love what you said about um you know live like ron borrowed time like get your bucket list done do this do that um and i think a lot about uh we're all well i'm a fan of george carlin and we all know the one about the planet where he said the planet is fine the people are fucked And and I, and I honestly, I I think that's, that could be what happens in the next, you know, century or so is that the client, you know, if, if it keeps going, yeah, things are going to change and we are going to be, we're going to get bitch slapped pretty hard. Um, will be, will we be completely extinct? I don't know, but I definitely think moving forward. We owe it to our kids to teach them these basic things of survival, things like how to live without internet, use that ham radio, how to pitch a tent, how to start a fire, how to cook your own food, not just out of a can also maybe how to hunt. I wish I'd had that. I wish I'd had that opportunity when I was younger. Um, my two brothers and my father were both. Well, my father taught both my two brothers um, how to hunt. I never got that chance. Um, I have shot a gun. Found out painfully that. Well, <laughs> found out frighteningly just how easy it is to be very to be a very good shot. I've um, never
4: shot a gun. Not a real gun
1: yeah i I actually did go to a rifle range. It was just with a twenty two long rifle um but for never having picked up a firearm before, I scored well put it this way the uh the guy who looked at the who looked at my score he said it's too bad you're not a year older. We could use you on the team as as a range team. It was like an eighty nine or
3: something like that and I'd never fired a gun before in my life but it's funny that we're talking about going back to you know hunter-gatherer habits. I mean, we're probably not going to go back that far. Well, I mean, animal It it might be
4: temporary. It might be a temporary state that we have to return to while everything calms down. We might have to wait for that to happen first. And then once it comes, what do you think, Kevin? Do you think there's a time where it'll calm down, equal off, and then we'll have a chance to recover from? Maybe not where we're at now, but, you know, skip a few hundred years and get right back to the bronze steel and all the other fun stuff pretty quick
2: no i think we're facing near-term human extinction in a very short number of years we need habitat we're animals we need habitat and that habitat is going away you, people who, who prep think that it's just industrial civilization but it's not that it's habitat that's collapsing there'll be no food the last food on the planet will be the last people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Cannibalism. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Well, I heard we taste like uh, pork, so, you yeah. know,
2: I um, like bacon.
0: I mean, you have have your problems with, uh, you know, plankton in the oceans dying, and that's the bottom of the food chain. And if we lose all of that, then we lose 80%. all of
2: oh, Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. It's eighty percent of the air we breathe comes out of the oceans, and those oceans are dying.
1: There's, um, I just saw something recently about how these blooms. It's not it's not algae or plankton, but it's another creature that they've actually seen these blooms from orbit, like from the ISS. Mm -hmm. And apparently, they no, I think these were green, green or something. I I can't remember.
0: There's purple
1: ones. In any event, these actually are the uh, the oxygen suppliers for the planet. Like there's there was something about it that these blooms are actually what contributes largely to our ability to breathe currently.
4: Yeah, that's the algae. The other ones are, blooms. There, there's bacterial blooms and other such that are actually drowning, uh, killing the oxygen in the water, which killed the fish and other such things. It makes it stagnant. The algae can't live in it.
1: What it was? There was a show, I, I just watched it, um, I don't know, I mean, it, it, Will Smith was hosting it, but it was called One Strange Rock. And they talked about, and they actually had um, uh, our Canadian, uh, Chris Hatfield from the ISS on there, talking about what they'd seen um, about this, this organism or whatever that is responsible for so much of the um, uh, oxygen production on the planet. I'd have to go back and, and look at it. It seemed a little—I don't know—seemed very way complex. It was like unlike anything I'd ever heard before. So I—I I don't know how credible it is. I mean, it's again, you know, no no shade on Will Smith, but eh.
4: could we reterraform our own planet?
1: Yeah, it, it was one of those kinds of shows. You know, no,
4: I was just thinking about it. It's like we we want to go to Mars. We want to go to the Moon again. We want to build habitats. We want people there. We want to make sure that our eggs are not all in one basket anymore. It's like, well, if we really want to do anything with Mars, terraforming may or may not be a viable solution. It may just end up being habitats with 100% recyclability, whatever, uh, technology implemented, uh, or implemented properly so that it's close to it. Um, There's got to be something that we can change. There's got to be something that we can do to limit the impact to limit and edge it away even even if it's only a fraction of percent edge it away from the extinction of level event where everybody is going to go away and instead maybe some can survive long enough for things to start turning back or at least changing enough so that it's no longer only death but now it's life or death well I mean, what Kevin is saying is that it's our
1: habitat that's going away. So our real, basically our real estate is dwindling. Yeah. So you'd almost have to come up with, at least if you're talking this last ditch survival, we would have to create almost like a dome city. We'd, we'd have to be mega city one with a big ass roof on it so that everything's preserved. Um, and even if we could, the socio-political climate as it is right now, unlike our actual climate, it's not changing. You know, it always comes
3: back to that though.
1: Yeah, it does.
3: It does. You're right. It's 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 people's in every case, it's people's mentalities that has to change. Yeah.
4: I, I find it hard to accept. It's a kiss your ass goodbye scenario. That that's the only option.
0: A lot of people do find it hard to accept.
4: No, 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 no. I don't think it's, uh, we can just ignore it and it's going to go away, which is what I see a lot of that shit. I think it's, yeah, we're in danger of wiping ourselves out. And we're on a good track to it that if we do nothing, it will happen. But there's got to be doing something where we can derail or curb it just enough so that it doesn't become extinction level guaranteed. It's no longer hundred percent guaranteed extinction. Now it's more of 98% or 97 or 96 or 95% are extinction, where the other remaining two, three, four, five 5% have a chance. We got to, there's gotta be something for that.
1: Well, so, yeah. I, I don't think any of us on the show here are going to have any kind of answers of that magnitude.
2: I think um, there is one. I think um, it goes back to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's um, book and, and a hypothesis of the seven stages of grief. And I think that what that is, let's say there must be a chance. I think that's her bargaining. That's the bargaining stage where even though it's so, it looks so, so obvious to me that Habitat is going away, a lot of people are bargaining, trying to think of some way that they will get through the bottleneck. But there's no getting through this bottleneck in my in my mind.
4: Hmm.
1: Well, (laughs) here I am trying to think of some way to say that, but no, you you you've got a point. Um, I mean, if we are heading for that uh, for that ton a lot quicker than we should. I don't know. I mean, even cancer patients patients try to prolong or at least enrich their lives as much as possible. And maybe that's where we need to be. Like, if there's a way we can stave it off just for a few more years, you know, that's a reflex. That's a survival reflex of the human race. Um,
4: See, if we don't just accept that we're all going to die and humanity is going to be wiped out, in the next 20, 30 years, no matter what we do, n- everybody gives up, you know, at that point. And, okay, I can accept that if we do nothing else, that's what's going to happen. Okay, fine. It's depressing. I, I. It makes me angry. I refuse to be in denial of something like that. I can accept that statement. What I can't accept is that there is nothing that we could possibly do to lower the likelihood of 100% extinction down to say 99%, to just give us a 1% chance or a fraction of a 1% chance to save a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the human population so that the species doesn't go away permanently. That part, I deny that that can't be done and well, i'll probably take that to my it,
0: deathbed. if if anybody's going to do it they need to do it now
1: yeah and that's the they thing can't do is,
0: it in ten years or 20 years because we don't have that long
1: yeah like we can cry we can cry outrage and denial all we want but if that's all we do if we don't start making some kind of conscious choice even if it means creating that landbound bound arc to preserve a percentage of humanity you know or or other things like it's i i'm hoping that we've got more than 20 30 years because that would mean i would actually see the end of civil i would see the end of humanity in my lifetime and um uh, personally i don't know if that's something i i, I don't know if that's something i really want to witness uh myself i mean yeah. morbidly curious definitely but uh i've seen way too many you know I've watched way too many
3: disaster movies to know that, nah, I I don't want to be a part of that. Well, not in a city, anyways. But, you know, we we have a choice. Otherwise, we we have a choice between... Well, first off, you know, humans have a tendency to put themselves at the center of everything. And what we have to do is think objectively. Um, First off, we have to look at the state. Now, imagine if all human activity ceased um, what would the planet do? And we have to kind of prepare ourselves for that kind of condition,
4: you know, to so look um, at the
3: actual state of the flora and fauna. And, and we're not even doing that actually. I mean, most of us, uh, well speaking for myself anyway, so I've, I've got no real clear idea about, um, you know, the actual deer population or, um, you know, how, how well, the planet is doing its ability to survive without human.
4: uh, There was, there was a science fiction book and I happen to like science fiction because like Sujin likes to point out, science fiction has a tendency in certain ways to become science fact, like trans, uh, trans uh, you know, the wonderful Star Trek, uh, Communicators in cell phone technology and such. The book was called Seven Eves. And I think it was by Neil Stevenson. Um, I believe Seven Eves. Um, seven Eves spelled as one word. And yes, it was by Neil Stevenson. And the first part of the book was all about how something had gone flying through the moon and broken in a whole bunch of pieces, and ended up collapse. Uh, pieces bombarding the earth basically we had our own um asteroid miniature asteroid belt made by the moon getting shattered into lots of pieces and bombarding the earth and wiping out human civilization humanity had you know recognized it for what it was and they made a huge push to put genetic samples up in outer space on a space station so on and so forth and uh genetic manipulation technology But there were also pockets of survivors who had buried themselves deep in the mountains who were able to find ways to cultivate uh, sources of food and so on and so forth in in that kind of environment and um, human genome manipulation um, for those who literally stayed underwater. Um, through submarines and sublocations uh, that were built by military uh, in- installations. So they built, uh, you know, they ended up manipulating themselves to better s- thrive in-, in water environments. Granted, this is all science fiction, but some there's some tr- potential truth, I think, there in terms of getting stuff in orbit, getting it set up so that, you know, Sure, fine, the climate went this way. Well, what if we drag a, a, you know, carve out a chunk of the moon and launch it at the planet? How does it affect this way? That sort of thing. Um, what could we do in terms of manipulating our own genetics to um, make ourselves more likely to thrive in an environment that has completely changed? Yeah, these are things that are far way out there in left field or right field or whatever direction you want to go. But, you know, we have made weird changes before due to need. I could see some of those experiments, suddenly some coming to light governments no longer going yeah, No, uh, we're going to go forward with this stuff and and try this stuff out because we've got no other choice. I
1: think, um, Oh, we've been going for about an hour and a half here. Maybe we should start looking at wrapping it up. Um I imagine uh actually Kevin, what time is it in New Zealand right now?
2: It's it's Sorry, it's uh 20 to 6 in the evening. I
4: was going to say it's not oh. as bright behind you anymore. Okay. The sun's going down. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I was just yeah, just um
4: that's a nice blue in the background by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what your your sunsets are like over there a lot? That
2: nice blue in the sky, off that. Uh, Ah, we get everything different because of the fact that we're surrounded by the ocean. We have you know wonderful when we've got uh, sunrises and sunsets where there's clouds near the horizon. We get a lot of sun shining on the bottom of them, so we get big, colorful skies in New Zealand.
1: Oh, that's got to be just gorgeous. Okay, well, I'm adding one thing to my bucket list, and that's to get to New Zealand for a vacation at some point. <laughs> I'm just
4: around here You're in the summers out. with all the haze and everything that we have. Oh, God, man.
0: Well, and I already that's added that horrible. to the bucket list to go see Dallin and uh, go see the Northern Lights.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, actually. Um, yeah. It's definitely going to be a, probably a day trip or so to, to get up to the Northern uh, Latitudes so that you can see it better. Um, we, we do get them down here in Calgary occasionally, but definitely if we, if we head North a little bit, uh, to like Edmonton or Jasper, uh, I think you'll see something a lot better. Uh, I, I grew up like, I grew up in Northern Manitoba. So seeing those every night, that was commonplace for me. And actually I started seeing them as early as August. So, uh, your, your timeline that you were talking about, I think we can do it. It should be fine. And hey, if nothing else, you get to come see me. <laughs> Not much of a consolation prize I'll grant you, but um But anyways, yeah, I think we should start uh wrapping up here. So, um Let's uh let's get a few final thoughts here uh, and then we'll we'll get out of here. So, Rigid, any anything you want to close off with?
0: Yeah, I think I've already said pretty much everything. Um it's really an overwhelming topic, but I think it's it's something that people need to think about because what's going to happen if people wake up one day and there's no food in the grocery store and there's no water coming through the tap? Mm-hmm. They're going to freak out. They're going to say they never saw it coming. But yeah. I see it all around us now. And it just seems like over the last two or three years, it's getting worse. Yeah.
1: Joseph, any any final thoughts?
0: Oh, he's muted.
1: Yeah, I wonder if he went away for the infamous P emergency. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, did, he
4: was. He had to do that. Oh, there yeah, he is. I'm,
3: I'm, I'm just kidding. Right? Oh, crap! I'm, sorry, guys. While I'm doing it, I've got USB headphones, so I can still hear you even when I'm away. Um, That's more of it as hell. No USB. Oh, sorry. Bluetooth. Yeah.
4: Mm. Still. I was gonna say that's a long ass cable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Last thoughts. Um literally. There's a lot to talk about here. But I mean, um, you know, our environment, it's just horribly complex and we can't look at it in any simplistic way. So like, you know. We tend to categorize things when we talk about things. Well, we can't really do that anymore. Um, We really have to, instead of putting ourselves in the center of things, we really have to look at ourselves in relation to the the rest of the planet. Uh, Look at ourselves as an integral part of it and just start the discussion there. Look objectively at what's really going on. And our impact upon the world and all that, and and become aware. It's basically that um, most people today will not think past their right here, right now, uh, comfort level, and it's that that has to change.
1: Hey, Zach, any anything?
4: Um, a couple of quick things. One, I I hope we don't wind up like the. Um, the alien species in the 25th episode of the fifth season of Star Trek, the next generation called the inner light where captain Picard gets zapped by an energy beam that implants uh, 40 years of memory of a scientist from a civilization that ended up dying out because of its solar, its sun going boom. Um, I hope we don't wind up like that because chances are we won't develop that technology in the next 20 years anyway. So if we go out, we're going out with a whimper and that whimper is whatever radio waves we've and, and television waves we were I sent out in outer space and our leftover probes and that's it, we're done. Um, I don't want that to be the end. I, I think we can do better than that. Um, as far as civilization being 100% extinction Again, I think we can do better than that, and I, th- I, I hope that we do. Um, I, for one, am not going to instill in my son that it's the end, period, end of conversation. However, um, I have been preparing him for the, at some point in your lifetime, the shit's going to hit the fan, and you're going to need to know what to do. You have skills already that will help. You have the right kind of heart to help those who need help. And you also know, and you know, you also have the ability to focus on yourself and your loved ones if that needs to be the case. Um, I can do some more one on one, more knowledge, more actions, activities, and so on and so forth. But I can accept if we do nothing else to work on this problem that we will be wiped out. As to whether it's 20 years from now or 30 or 40 or 50, um, it it all depends. It all depends on circumstances that are yet to unfold. Um, sometimes our predictions come right. Our predictions are getting more and more Uh, accurate as we progress with our science and knowledge. And yeah, it may be 20, 25 years and that's it game over, but uh, I'm going to keep trucking along. Like we have a fighting chance because I don't want to give up.
1: Okay. Um, Kevin, um, I kind of wanted to leave the last word to you. So any, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you all. Thank you for your time. And what I would like everyone to do is consider looking at our position from a position of hospice. Consider that you've been given a terminal diagnosis. Consider what you would do in that short, brief period of time that you have before your health falls apart and you can't do anything. Treat every moment as precious. Cut the dead wood free and only surround yourself with empaths and people who who reciprocate your goodness that you give to them that they are giving back to you and make the most of it is whatever time we've got left Personally, I'll be surprised if this civilization and that means us has five years Okay, I think it will unravel in a non-linear way and it will it will freak everyone out how quickly this will get bad If you're not if anyone's paying attention, they can see that already Yeah That's true
1: well,
0: so love one another, be good to one another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've I've said this a few times. Um, in 2017, I was in the hospital for a couple of months. It was a complication due to what was, should have been a routine surgery. And I ended up recovering in an oncology ward. And for those of you that don't know, that is a cancer ward. Mm-hmm. In my two months in there, wrestling with my own ghosts and definitely reset expectations for recovery, I did meet a lot of people and didn't see them all to their face because I was separated by a curtain, but I did hear a lot of the conversations and there is nothing more terrifying in life then realizing that you have no control that there are things happening around you or happening to you that you have no control over. And when it comes to something as large as climate change on such a global scale, there may very well be very little that we few who see it can actually do anything about except make our own lives as fulfilling as possible as kevin said treat yourself like you have a terminal illness seize the day carpe diem bucket lists live life to the fullest which you know a lot of atheists say the same thing because when you're dead you're dead that's it so make this one count make make your life count make it make it worth living so that when you are about to shut your eyes for the last time you can say yeah i did okay whether we have a fighting chance whether we don't i don't know i i don't have enough information to say whether or not we do but for the time we have left if it be to the extent of our own lives or if we actually if this is the generation that sees its end All I can really do is, well, take a quote from a movie from, what year was it? Sorry, Uh, from 2005, Um, from the character of uh, Edward R. Murrow. Good night and good luck. So I think that's about all we can do is just live live your life. And if you can make a change, make the change. If it helps get you through the night, so much the better. Not as poetic as uh, one of Shujin's (laughs) outros, but uh, I I do try my best. Um, Anyway, so I want to thank all of you for uh, coming out tonight, uh, tuning in as well as being on the show. Uh, Shujin was really hoping that this would come off uh, well and I'd like to think it did. And he and I are actually going to talk a little bit more about, um, giving me more control over the show so that uh, he can maybe relax a little bit. Cause you know, y- y- you've seen him, he's getting a little grayer as this is going on. I, I-, I think he's, you know, he's a little stressed, you know, <laughs> anyways. Um, so again, I want to thank, uh, I want to thank our guest, Kevin. Uh, I do appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, you gave us a lot to think about. Um, I'm definitely going to be uh, looking at things a little bit differently on my end. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And uh, go ahead and, and plug your blog and your uh, radio show, Kevin.
2: Let us Thank know you. if you can
0: find you.
2: <laughs> yep. Well, my website is kevinhister.live where you can find all my – I don't post there a lot. I try to make sure that it's important stuff. I have a, a radio show on the Progressive Radio Network with Professor Guy McPherson, and our show's called Nature's Nature Bats Last. Thank okay. you very much for your time, everyone. Good luck. Um, that's all I can wish you, especially for those of you who have children. I know how extraordinarily challenging this whole dichotomy is, but uh, uh, forewarned is forearmed. Good luck, everyone. Thank you. All
1: right. Uh, Bridget, thank you for... Uh, <clears throat> Coming up with the idea, I honestly, I uh, if not for you, I wouldn't have known what to talk about tonight.
0: Oh, long well, i I was helpful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so go ahead, plug all the things.
0: Okay, well, uh, you can find me on Facebook as Bridget Fitch or find me at my blog at BridgetFitch2112.wordpress.com.
1: Okay. Uh, Joseph, as always, uh, thank you for um, Im- imbibing more caffeine so that you can join us on this uh, wonderful show. Well, thank you for having me on. All right. And Tech, again, thank you very much uh, for putting up with me. What do you mean?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. You guys have to put up with me, remember? Ah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It's the other way around.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Um, I should
4: be thanking you for putting up with me.
1: Yeah. And over in the chat... um, Felix, Stephanie, um, and I did see somebody pop in um, from beyond the trailer park, which is always good. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in tonight. I do appreciate it. Shujin uh, even popped in. Yeah, Shujin did pop in. Uh, he's got to make sure that you know his his product. Thank you for making
4: his, your own show.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> making sure that his product and brand are properly preserved. He he did have some worry that Google was going to blow up on
4: me tonight. I don't know well, where. Yeah. I, I don't well, know where he came up with that thought. You know, on the, on the positive, if everything does end in five years, at least we don't have to worry about a hangouts uh, alternative. This is true.
0: <laughs> This is going away. This is true. So,
1: so you're saying I shouldn't be working on the Twitch account right now? Anyways, <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, he's got. You got a point. Anyways. Um, for myself, of course, I am the, uh, the curator of the audio version of this podcast over at HolyCrapTheVlogCast.com. You can catch us on Facebook uh, as well uh, with the same name. Uh, I don't have the live number next to me, and I completely forgot the Gmail address. But um, between Facebook and – well, actually, with Facebook, that's the best way you'll be able to get a hold of any of us. Uh, we're checking it all the time. As for myself. I also have my own blog at in thewindy 05ca where I jot down the occasional random thought when it strikes me and when I'm awake enough to actually write it down. Anyways, again, everybody, thank you very much. And until the next time we meet, you guys take care of yourselves. Be safe, be good, and good night. You've been listening to Holy Crap, the Vlogcast. Feel free to leave a comment at the show's website at holycrapthevlogcast.com, where you'll also find links to our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter pages. Theme music is Twisted by Kevin MacLeod, available at incompetech.com. And on behalf of all of us here, thank you for listening.